All right, and even in spite of all the election craziness, we're going to try to steig and uh, cover some ground here in the Gemara. So, Mir Hashem, we have a great sugi today. So, says the Gemara towards the top of Chavamam and Aleph, a few lines in. Tanur Rabbanan was taught in a brayza. Holchei drachem biyom, p'turin minasuka biyom. If a person's traveling during the day, the Gemara doesn't express what he's traveling for. It just says. If you're traveling during the day, he's He's exempt from being in the sukkah during the time of his travels. Meaning if he stops temporarily to eat, he doesn't have to eat in the sukkah. Continues the Gemara, But if he stops to sleep, inasmuch as he's not traveling anymore, then he's obligated to both sleep in a sukkah and eat in a sukkah. So that same person, let's say, travels by night. So during the nighttime, he's going to be exempt from sleeping and eating in the sukkah, but during the day he's going to be obligated to sleep in a sukkah, and to eat in a sukkah. But if he's traveling both by day and by night, so then he's going to be exempt both during the day and during the night, meaning the general principle is whenever you're in traveling, so then you're going to have an exemption, whereas if you stop traveling, so then you're still going to be obligated in sukkah. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean you stop traveling for five minutes to take a break of your traveling, so that's for sure continued, considered like you're still in the midst of your traveling. It means that you camped out. So whenever you camp out, you can stop your continuing of your trip. So then, that's when you're going to be obligated. That's clause number one. Continues the Gemara. Hoch in the Dvaram Mitzvah. If a person's traveling to fulfill a mitzvah, Turin bin they're exempt during the day and during the night. Now, inasmuch as the Gemara doesn't clarify and express when you are a holich ledvar mitzvah, it doesn't say a holich ledvar mitzvah bayom, p'torn bayom, like it would have said in the earlier case. The assumption is that really, whenever you're holich ledvar mitzvah, as long as you're in that course of travel, even if you're taking a break, nonetheless, you're going to have an exemption. And that's what really Tosas already told us on Chafeyam at Aleph from this Gemara that a Holich Ledvar Mitzvah is going to be exempt from Sukkah always. Now the Gemara is going to source two examples of that. Kihadar of Chista and Rabbah Baruch Huna. Like this example of Chista and Rabbah Baruch Huna. Kihavi Ayli B'Shabsa Deregla the Beirish Kalusa. When they would travel on Cholamoyed in order to spend Shabbos in the house of the Reish Kalusa. Havugani al Arkasa de Sura. They would sleep on the riverbank of Sura, the assumption being without a sukkah. Amri anan shlucha mitzvah anan upturin. And their explanation would be that since they're shlucha mitzvah, they're people who are in the midst of traveling to do a dvar mitzvah, so then they're going to be exempt from sukkah. So let's see Rashi now and try to crack into the sugya. So we're going to have to first of all know why are they exempt, right? Just because you're traveling, you're exempt. And secondly, we're going to have to know, are you always exempt? Meaning, any time you choose to travel, if I travel to visit, you know, Six Flags Great Adventures on Cholamite Sukkot, that means that I can I don't have to eat in a sukkah while uh, I'm eating lunch there? Or no, maybe there's only specific types of travel which have this exemption of Holchei Drachim. So, let's see Rashi. Rashi says, Holchei Drachim Biyom, a person who's traveling during the day, Pturin Mina. They're exempt from the sukkah during the daytime. So what's the source? 
right? We know the Pasuk says in Pasha's Emor, that you have to sit in a sukkah for seven days. So Rashi expounds here, based on Chazal, it's a Gemara later on, that that you sit in your sukkah the same way that you sit in your house. The same way that the whole year round, he doesn't refrain from leaving his house in order to travel to do business. Similarly, when it comes to all the days of the holiday of Sukkot that aren't the holiday, then there's no prohibition of Malacha. The Torah didn't mandate you to refrain from traveling outside of the vicinity where you're able to sit in a Sukkah. So according to Rashi, the basis, the principle that we're applying here is a concept called Teshvu Kein Tadoru. You draw on the sukkah the same way you live in your house. So Rashi brings a parallel, the same way that you leave your house to do business, so too you can leave your sukkah to do business. So question number one that we have to address is the fact that Rashi brought this example of doing business, is that specific or non-specific? If it's specific, we could hear that maybe you're only allowed to leave your house and have this exemption of Holchei Jachim when you're doing a vital, necessary activity. But to go to Six Flags, even though it might save you from boredom, if it's not vital to normal life, so therefore you wouldn't have that exemption. Or no, maybe the example is non-specific, and even if it's a non-vital activity, nonetheless you would still warrant that, that exemption. That's question number one. Question number two, Rashi says that you have this exemption, right? So that implies that on Yom Tiv, you don't have this. Ex- you don't have this exemption called Hochei Drachim. Now the question is as follows: Why is that true? Right? How many days of Yontif are you obligated to sit in a sukkah? So really, you're only obligated to sit in the sukkah one day of Yontif in Eretz Yisrael, and two days in America because of a suffix, because of a doubt. Why? Because the first day of sukkah you're obligated to sukkah, but the last day of sukkah that's Yontif is actually Shmini Yatzeres. In Shemini Yatzeres, you're not obligated to sit in a sukkah. So even though nowadays on Shemini Yatzeres, not Simchas Torah, in Chutz Aretz, we sit in a sukkah, or at least we make Kiddush in a sukkah, depending on your minhag. So even though that's true, the reason we do that is because we have a doubt, maybe it's really Hoshana Rabbah and it's still sukkahs. But when the Torah's pers- from the Torah's perspective, for sure, there's only one day of Yontif that you're obligated to sit in a sukkah. So now that the... Rashi told us that you're allowed to travel, you have this exemption, all the days of the holiday, except for Yontif, that means except for the first night. So now there's another question we have to propose. Does that mean the first night, even if you're traveling, you don't get that exemption? Or maybe the other way to go would be that the only way you get an exemption is if you're doing something necessary, like business. And business, obviously, you can't be doing on Yontif, so therefore, that's why you don't get the exemption. Meaning to say, inherently, there's no reason why you can't. Just practically speaking, you're unable to because we're only allowing you to get this exemption during specific circumstances. And those circumstances happen to be, happen to be prohibited during Yantif. Or no, maybe irrelevant of what circumstances you're actually able to get this exemption the exemption doesn't apply on the first day of Yantif. Now, why would that be the exemption doesn't apply on the first day of Yantif? So my assumption would be that the first day is different because 
the Chazal expound something, a Gzeira Shava, a word connection from Tesvav Tesvav, the 15th. The same way on the 15th of Nisan, there's an obligation to eat matzah at night, right? Balayla tochlu matzos. They have an obligation to eat matzah at night on the 15th of Nisan. So too, the 15th of Tishrei, you have an obligation to eat bread inside the sukkah. So it could be, maybe due to that obligation, the first day of the first day of Sukkot, we wouldn't grant you this exemption. That could be a reason to think that there's something unique to the first day. So now that we're getting into this concept, let's see Tosfos. Tosfos and Divar Maschal Holchei Drachem Bayom comes along Tosfos and is very similar to Rashi. This entire exemption we derive from the drasha of Chazal, Chazal expounded, that you sit in your sukkah the same way you dwell in your house. The same way that when a person's in his house, he doesn't refrain from going out to travel. Now what's interesting to note here is that when Rashi expressed this, he said very specifically, he doesn't refrain from traveling to do business. Tosfos doesn't say that example. Tosfos just says he doesn't refrain himself from traveling. So, if we wanted to learn Rashi, that when he said schora, to go to business, is specific, that, that caveat doesn't exist in the framework of Tosfos. Tosfos doesn't hold of this caveat, and it's for sure that when it comes to the world of Tosfos, any time that you leave, that would enable you to have an exemption called Hochei Drachem. It continues Tosfos, and similarly, the case that we discussed earlier of Mitzdayer, a person who's disturbed from his actual sitting in the sukkah, the basis of that exemption is also founded in Teishvu Kein Tadoru. Why? Because a person doesn't live in a house that disturbs him physically. And therefore, the precedent of Mitzdayer that we saw creates an exemption early in the Gemara on Chafayam Adbeis is also based off this concept which were delving into right now. So, so far we proposed a few questions here. I want to address them one at a time. So the first question I want to talk about uh, is does the exemption of Holchei Drachem attain an exemption even the first night? We said maybe they don't because of the Gezerah Shava, the connection to Pesach, that you might have an obligation to eat in the Sukkah the first night so that we wouldn't give you an exemption. And maybe not, even the first night you'd get an exemption. So the Shulchan Aruch discusses this in Simen Tafresh Mem Sifches, in Source 6 on the sheet. It says, Holche Drachim Bayom, Torn Bidasuka Bayom. A person who's traveling during the day is exempt during the day. V'chayev and Belay, they're obligated at night. Holche Drachim Belay, Torn Belay, V'chayev and Bayom. Just the opposite, if they're traveling at nighttime, they're exempt at nighttime, but obligated during the day. Now the Eliyar which is one of the early commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, comes and says the following. Mavur Berashi, so comes along the Eliyar Rabbah and sources a Rashi that says that even the first night you have an exemption. So if we would turn to the Gemara and Dafnun Vav and Ahmad Aleph that he quotes, the Gemara is discussing what different mitzvahs obligate us to say Shehechiyano when the holiday of Sukkot enters. Do you only say Shehechiyano when you're sitting in a Sukkah or not? So Rashi here says, Ilav Sukkah, Ilav Yeshiva Sukkah, if it wasn't for the mitzvah of sitting in the Sukkah, Milo Amrinan's man, who, who says that we still wouldn't make a Shehechiyano? 
Kegon, what would mean example where there's no yeshiva sukkah, but you still make a shechiyano? A person who's traveling and therefore gets an exemption from sitting in the sukkah. He still says, even though he's not performing the mitzvah of sukkah, just like every other holiday, there's no specific mitzvah we're fulfilling, and yet we make a shechianu do the Kedusha Sayyam, the sanctity of the day. So similarly, Rashi is explicit that even the first night of Sukkot, when Hochei Drachim do get an exemption, nonetheless, nonetheless what? Nonetheless, they would still make a shechianu. So according to the Eliyar it's an explicit Rashi that uh, you can have the exemption of Hochei Drachim even the first night. So the Eshel Avram here I brought you, the Eshel Avram is the Prima Gadim. The Prima Gadim is the primary commentary on two different commentaries in the Shulchan Aruch. In the Shulchan Aruch, at least in Urachayim, the main commentary is the Magin Avram. It's printed in the Shulchan Aruch on the right side, or in the outside column of each part of the Shulchan Aruch. And in the inside, there's a Taz. He's a different commentary also, but not as primary as the Magin Avram. And the Prima Gadim wrote a commentary on both of these. So he's a super commentary. So the Prima Gadim here in Source 8 writes as follows. See this Eliyarabba, which we just saw together. That he wrote, he's of the opinion that the first night you still get an exemption. I have a question on that, says the Prima Gadim. Why? That maybe you should have to wait the first night the same way you have to wait for rain, meaning to say there's Allah, that if it rains the first night of Sukkot, usually when it rains, that creates an exemption from eating in the Sukkot. You can eat inside, your mitztayer. But when it comes to the first night, since there's that special connection to Pesach and you have a chiv, an obligation to eat in the Sukkot, so then we say that you're obligated to wait, then maybe the rain will stop and you'll be able to eat in the Sukkot. And all the more so that we don't just tell you to wait, but if it doesn't stop raining, we tell you to eat in the actual rain itself. Even though normatively speaking, there's an exemption of mitzdayar, nonetheless, we say the first night's different. So based off of Tosfos, we could ask even stronger, right? That Tosfos who says that the whole exemption of mitzdayar is based off Teshvukein Tadoru, and a Hochei Drachim is also a function of Teshvukein Tadoru, so then, it's only logical to say that the same way that Teshvukein Tadoru of Mitzdayar doesn't exempt you the first night, so why would the Teshvukein Tadoru of Hochi Drachim exempt you the first night? It's for sure it's forbidden, you're not allowed to do it. And now comes along the Prima Gadim and says, V'rashi the Prima Gunnim points to our Rashi, and he points to our Rashi that says that you're allowed, to, you have an exemption of Holchei Drachim, Kol Chag, all the days of Yantif, She'eno Yantif, which aren't prohibitim alacha, meaning to say that he's making a precise reading in our Rashi that the, the fact that Rashi says that you're allowed to have utilize this exemption all the days of Yantif, except the time where there's a prohibited prohibition of alacha, implies that the first night you don't have an exemption. So, we don't know what the Prima Gadim did with the Eli Rabba's proof, right? The Eli Rabba had an explicit Rashi on Nunvavam and Aleph. But let's try to talk from the Eli Rabba's perspective. The Eli Rabba has a Rashi which is explicit 
that you're exempt on the first night. So why then, when it comes to when it comes to Rashi on our sugi on Aleph, how could Rashi imply that the first night you don't have an exemption? So the simple way to answer that would be we had two ways to understand Rashi. Was Rashi saying that uh, inherently the exemption doesn't apply on the first day of Yantif due to the uniqueness of the mitzvah of eating in the sukkah the first night? Or no, maybe the fact you don't have an exemption is a function that he's, of the fact that he's discussing going out to business. And practically, you can't do business on Yantif. So if you say that second way, that it's a practicality, that since he's discussing the case of business, since he's, yes, discussing the case of business, that's why you're not able to get that allowance. So if we were to find a different circumstance of Hochei Drachim, which was permissible to do on Yantif, then you would actually be granted that exemption, even the first day, and that would be the simple way to go ahead and reconcile the two Rashis. That being said, if we reconcile Rashi in that fashion, that would mean that Rashi is being quite specific when he says that example of holech l'schora, when you're going to do business. Because that caveat that he says, you don't have that exemption when... You don't have that exemption when... I'm sorry, on the first night is only based off the fact that we're talking specifically about doing business. So this diok, that precise reading, which I just said right now, is going to be very, very relevant to our question, Do you, are you granted an exemption if you travel to Six Flags on Yantif? So now that we brought that up, so let's talk about it. Ramesha Feinstein, in Igris Moshe, in Orachayim Chelek Gimel, Simen Sadi Gimel, it's in Source 10 on the source sheet, says as follows. He's asked the question, is a person allowed to go on a leisurely trip during Cholomite Silkis? Is that permissible or for, forbidden? So it comes along Ramesha, and his first proof is from Rashi. Rashi and Chavav and Aleph says that you're only allowed to go out for traveling. So there, Ramesha says that it has to be that whatever you're doing, whatever, whenever you're leaving the sukkah and exempting yourself and creating an inability to fulfill the mitzvah, that's only if you're doing something which is tantamount to business, something which is a vital necessity. But if it's not a vital necessity, even if you want to go ahead and enjoy it, it's leisurely teal, that's not enough to go ahead and create an exemption. He brings another proof that what if there's a person who owns a house, but he likes to sleep outside? He has a nice backyard, he has lawn furniture, and he likes to sleep outside. So now comes Sukkot, can he say, you know what? During the rest of the year, I sleep outside. So maybe, also in Sukkot, I don't have to sleep in the Sukkot. I could also sleep outside. And for that, I could also sleep in my house. Why not? I'm accustomed not to sleeping in my house whenever, whenever I feel like it. So similarly, maybe I could sleep, not sleep in my Sukkot whenever I feel like it. Comes along with information and says, absolutely not. If you, you have a mitzvah, which comes once a year, and you're obligated to do so, just because you might you know, on a physical level, appreciate and enjoy doing something different, not fulfilling the mitzvah, that does not enough to create an exemption. So similarly, just because you feel like you would enjoy a trip to Six Flags, that's not enough to grant you an exemption from sitting in the sukkah during the time where you're obligated to do so. That's Rav Moshe's perspective. Now, how did Rav Moshe know to learn Rashi to be specific? So according to us, the basis is that if... We want these two Rashis to not be a contradiction. The Rashi that the Eliyarabah quotes on Daphne Vav and our Rashi, it has to be 
the fact that he's going to do business is specific because Rashi on Chavav says you're, you don't get the exemption of Teishvukein Tadoru on the first day of Yantif. And if that's true, you don't get it on the first day of Yantif. If he's talking about all circumstances, that's a blatant contradiction to what he says later on in Daphnon Vav. But if he's only talking about the circumstance of doing business, and therefore that's inherent to the explanation of Rashi, so then it's not a contradiction, because the first day of Yantif you can't do business, and that's why Rashi says that. But granted, if you're doing something which is a vital necessity, and it's not something which is prohibited to do on Yantif, then even the first day you'll be granted that exemption like Rashi and Daphnon Vav. Another reason why maybe Ramesha chooses to learn Rashi to be specific is because Rashi, when he wants to give an example, often says Kagon. He'll tell you that he's, Kagon means for example. So if Rashi doesn't go out of his way here to say Kagon, rather, he says this as a very specific understanding. Right? He's explaining the concept of Teshu Kain Tadoru, and his explanation is, The same way you don't leave your house to go do business. He doesn't say, He says, that is the epitome, that's the archetypal case of what's considered a vital necessity. And therefore, that may be the reason why Ramesha was led to believe that Rashi was actually specific. Now, I also attached on the sources... Um, a sefer called Moedim Izmanim. Moedim Izmanim is written by Rav Moshe Sternbach. He's the Rosh Av Beistin of the Eda Haredes in Yerushalayim. He's still alive. He's actually an English speaker. He grew up in England. He has a different approach here. He wants to say, he's discussing a question, is a person obligated, is there a mitzvah to try to obligate yourself more in other mitzvahs? Meaning to say, for example, if a person, it's Sukkot, is there a mitzvah to try to obligate yourself to sin a sukkah more often? Another example would be, is according to, let's say, if living in Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah, but it's not an obligation. Let's say it's a mitzvah kumis. It's a mitzvah if you do it, but you're not obligated to do so. So then, does a person have to go ahead and live in Eretz Yisrael? Is that an obligation? That's something, it's a mitzvah to go ahead and put yourself in a place where you fulfill a mitzvah even though you're not obligated to do so. Right? That would be... That's the question he's coming to address. So he says as follows, that in essence, you're not obligated to do so. Specifically when it comes to the mitzvah of tzitzis, the mitzvah of tzitzis is coming lizikaron as a memory to remind us to do all the, perform all the mitzvahs. So there, there's a halachic desire and halachic preference for you to obligate yourself in that mitzvah as much as possible. So even though you're only obligated in tzitzis, if you're wearing a four-corner garment, we go ahead and make sure that we wear a four-cornered garment in, as mu- in order to obligate ourselves in as much as there's a halachic preference to do so because it's coming, lizikaron, it's coming as a remembrance for all mitzvahs. A tefillin, even though the mitzvah of tefillin you fulfill by having them on for a, a, a short period of time, five seconds, nonetheless, we have them on for a longer period of time because there's something called an os, it's a sign. It's a sign of the connection between us and Hashem. So those specifically, since there's an internal reason unique to those mitzvahs that would push and suggest that we should go out of our way to fulfill them, that's when we have the obligation to make sure that we come under those obligations. But says Ramesha Sternbach, that when it comes to mitzvah sukkah, there's no specific reason why we should go out of our way and be exacting 
to make sure that we fulfill that mitzvah as much as possible. And in as much as that's true, you want to go to Six Flags, you want to go on a leisurely trip, so you can go on a leisurely trip. Ah, you're not going to fulfill the mitzvah of Sukkah. Who says you have to? The Gemara says, it quotes a Braisa, that whole Chidracham, you're traveling, you're exempt. So therefore, Rameh Sternbach takes the opposite side. The one question that's left to address in Rameh Sternbach stands, which I don't have an answer to, is that when it comes to Rashi Bayas on Chavav and Aleph, so Rashi says, So obviously his learning Schora is non-specific. To go out, the fact you're leaving for business is non-specific. That I do understand. But if that's true, how come Rashi says you don't have an exemption on the first night? According to Rashi on Nunvav, you have an exemption the first night. Because anything, you, any type of traveling is fine. That creates an exemption. So how can we reconcile the two Rashis? Then on one hand, Rashi says explicitly on Nunvav that you have an exemption always. Whereas when it comes to Rashi on Chavav, you only have an exemption all the days of Chalamoyin, but not the first night. Our way to reconcile that, at least according to Ramesha Feinstein, would be to say there's a difference between schora, which is specific, and the other cases which are not specific. But according to Ramesha Sternbach, you can't say that because Rashi on Chavav, schora, the fact you're leaving for business, is also non-specific. So that's going to be a difficulty in taking such a stance. The last topic that I'm going to talk about when it comes to this sugya is Tosus Tiveramaschel Vachayavin Belayla. Tosus says, Vachayavin Belayla, right? If you're traveling by day, you're exempt during the day but obligated at night. Explains Tosus, Sha'adam Lan Belayla Biyishuv. When a person rests at nighttime in a populated area, meaning to say that the only time you're obligated, even though you're only traveling by day, to sleep in a sukkah is when you're sleeping in a populated area. So if you're in the wilderness, you're in a forest, you're in a desert, you're in a plain, so fine. Understood, you're going to be exempt. What happens if you're in a location where you're traveling, where there's no sukkah that's accessible? You're in a populated area, but the population that you're at doesn't have a place where there's a sukkah. So are you allowed to do that or not? So this is a discussion um, in Source 9, I brought you a Magin Avram. And in the Magin Avram, there's two different opinions. He brings there the opinion of the Lavush. The Lavush is of the opinion that Yishuv means, a populated area means, a place where there's a Jewish population that makes sukkahs. But if you're in a city where there's a non-Jewish population and no one has a sukkah, or even in a city nowadays where there's a Jewish population, but unfortunately they don't make sukkahs, so then, under those circumstances, you'd also be exempt, because that's not considered a yishuv. That's not considered a populated area. The populated area is defined as an area where a sukkah is accessible. The Magin of Ram disagrees, and the Magin of Ram says that the definition of a populated area is any place where there's people living. So even if there's not a sukkah built by one of the population that's their consistent basis, Nonetheless, you're obligated to tame the materials at nighttime that you need in order to make a sukkah, and you wouldn't have that exemption of Holchei Drachim. Because he's understanding Tosvos, that when he says Yishuv, a population, is any sort of population. It doesn't mean specifically a population that has a sukkah. Now, my inclination would be, like the Lavush, just because what's, the, what's being expressed here? What's the Svara to make a distinction between in a place that has a yishuv or doesn't have a yishuv. My understanding would be that obviously we don't make the person who's traveling carry a sukkah with him. So if we don't make you carry a sukkah with him, so how could we obligate him at night? 
comes along Tosus and says that so it's only talking about where you have access to one. It's a populated area. And therefore, that's how you have a sukkah. It's very hard for me to imagine that we're obligating you to actually either carry a sukkah with you or to build a sukkah wherever you go at night. And so I think the simple reading would go like the Lavashia. So that was stage one of the Gemara, discussing the, the exemption of Teshu Kain Teduru on a circumstance of Hochei So let's continue the Gemara. There's another Braisa. Tanu Rabbanan was taught in a Braisa, Shomri Ha'ir B'yom Turim in Asukah, B'yom, a person who's guarding the city during the day is exempt from sitting in the sukkah during the day, but he's obligated at night. And the same thing if they're guarding at night time, so they're exempt at night, and they're obligated during the day. And if they're guarding both during day and night, so obviously they're going to be exempt during the day and the night. Now, what's the nature of this exemption? So it's very interesting. If you look in Rashi, Rashi says absolutely nothing. So how, how are we supposed to know? If you look in the Rishonim, the Rishonim don't talk about this case. So my assumption is, for two reasons, the exemption here is Teshvukein Tadoru. Number one, that when it, we talked about Hochei Drachim, which is the, what introduced us to this exemption called Teshvukein Tadoru. So the format of the exemption was if you're doing it during the day, you're exempt during the day, etc. So when it comes to Shomri year, it has that same exact format. So the fact that it has the same exact format leads me to believe that it's a similar, it's the same exemption. Number two is that this sugi of Shomri year, this price is being brought immediately after the price of Hochei so how come the Gemara juxtaposed these two prices? My assumption is it juxtaposed these two prices to teach us that the they create an exemption under both circumstances. Now, what? Why do we need both of them? So it seems pretty straightforward. Also, Hochejachim we need to teach because it's telling us if you leave your sukkah and you're not in a place, you're in a different location than where you live, so then you're exempt from sukkah. But here, Shomrei Yer, it's a person who has a job. He works from you know the morning shift to the night shift. And I might think that if he's still in the area where his house is, he's still in the place where he's living, so then he might be obligated still in the midst of sukkah. Comes along the Gemara and says, no, Teshvu Kein Tadoru tells me that if you're working your job and your job doesn't permit for you to keep the midst of sukkah, that also, right, what happens? You leave your house to go to your job. So to also you can leave your house, you can leave your sukkah and go to your job. You're not going to be obligated in sukkah during that time period. So that's the second case that the Gemara brings that we're going to have the exemption of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. Now comes along the Gemara and says a third case. Shomri Ganus of Pardesim, someone who's guarding a garden or a vineyard, Turin bin Bayyam of They're exempt by day and night. Yes, the Gemara of Avdi Sukkah Hasam, Velaisvo. So how come you're exempt when you're guarding the Sukkah? I'm sorry, but how come you're exempt when you're guarding the garden? Build the sukkah when you, instead of your guarding shack and fulfill the mitzvah sukkah there. Abai Amar Teshvu Kein Tadoru. Abai says the reason why you don't do that is because of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. Rav Amar Pirza Karalaganav. And Rav says a different reason, Pirza Karalaganav. We're going to have to explain this in a second. The Gemara asks, What's the difference between Abai and Rav? 
The Gemara answers the difference is if you're garnering a pile of fruit. Now, what's being what's being proposed here? So the Gemara is discussing a case if you're guarding a garden or a vineyard. Now, what did this look like? Someone guarding a garden or a vineyard. So it used to be that people would go out for a week, two weeks at a time, and live in a hut. Now, why would they live in a hut? They would live in a hut because they're guarding farmland. Now, farmland expanded over acres and acres of area. And to travel back and forth between your home and keep watch over this massive area of land was an impossibility. So they built a hut. So the person who was the watchman lived in that hut. How do I know he lived there? Because what's the Gemara say? The Gemara says, so there's a question to be asked. When it came to and when it came to Shomri Ha'ir, the Gemara made a distinction. If you're walking during the day, if you're guarding during the day, then you only have an exemption during the day. And if you're walking or guarding at night, you only have an exception at night. You don't have an exemption during the day. But if you're doing it at both times, then you have an exemption at both times. How come the Gemara didn't make that parallel expression when it came to a person who's guarding the garden or a vineyard? The answer is very simple. The answer is, because he lived there. He stayed there all the time. And Rashi even says that Shomrei Ganus Pardesin ain't Zazen Mishan. They don't move there. How did Rashi they didn't move? know they didn't move? Because the Gemara didn't say those first two steps. The assumption is that they're always there. So we have a Shomer who lives there, you know, for a week, two weeks at a time. And he's guarding this farmland. Beautiful. Now, he lives in a hut. Right? He's not living in a proper house. His proper house is back home. And what's the, the Gemara proposed? The Gemara says, Why don't you build a sukkah over there where you're guarding in lieu of your hut and fulfill it to sukkah also? Now this is also very interesting, right? The Gemara never proposed build a sukkah there right, while you're traveling. And the Gemara never proposed Why don't you build a sukkah in the place where you're guarding the city from. The answer is, because when it comes to the people who are guarding the vineyard, they're guarding the, the farmland, they're living there for a week, two weeks at a time. So there, the Gemara has a real thought that you should be obligated to build a sukkah under those circumstances, and as much as you're living there temporarily. To that, the Gemara answers, no. Abayi says, Teshvu ke'in taduru. Abayi says, the reason we tell you that you can't, you're not obligated to build a sukkah when you're protecting this farmland is because of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. Now, Rava seems to disagree from this, right? Rava says a different answer, which we're going to explain momentarily. And the Gemara asks, what's the practical difference between them? The implication is that Rava disagrees with the concept of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. Now, that's wild, right? Our whole exemption of Holchei Drachim and our whole exemption of Shomrei Yer were predicated and based off of the concept of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. According to Tosvos, even Mitzdayer is, is predicated on the concept of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. So how could we propose that this is a dispute between Abai and Rava? So Tosvos already asked this question. Tosvos says, when in Divramaskal Pyutza Kurlaganov, Right? Why did Rava have to say a new explanation? So explains Tosos, Don't think that the reason is because he disagrees with the concept of It's a b'risa later on in Dafchav Ches. So Tosos knows that Rava 
is not disagreeing with the concept of Teshu Kinto Doro. If that Shui doesn't disagree, so then why is there a Machlokas Rava? So before we address that question, let's talk about Rava's stance. Rava says that if I build a sukkah, it's a Pirza Karulaganav. Rashi says, what's Pirza Karulaganav? Mashal Hedyuthu. It's a simple allegory. What's this allegory? If he, has, if he lives in a sukkah as opposed to a hut, a ganav is going to see inside the sukkah, and he'll know if the watchman is inside the sukkah, or he's going on his rotations, and going through the fields, seeing if anyone's there. So if he sees he's in the sukkah, how does he know he's in the sukkah? Because of schach, right? He can see through. So then he'll go to the other side of the field and steal all the fruit. But if he lives in a hut, and there, inside the hut, there's actually a roof. So the gun of the thief won't be able to know if the watchman is inside his hut or not. And therefore, he's going to be afraid to steal. So what's the difference, the practical difference? The practical difference is if you're guarding a kari de piri. What's a kari de piri? It's a kri shel peros, a pile of fruit. Should tell me the fun of him. What's a pile of fruit? What's unique about it? That if you, there's a pile of fruit, it's always in front of the person who's guarding it. And is able to guard them. And therefore, we're not concerned that a ganav is going to see you sitting in your hut, because even if you're sitting there, nonetheless, you're still able to guard the pile of fruit. Now, which is not true if you're guarding a whole farmland, you, you have to go on rotation. If you have to go on rotation, it makes a very big difference if the ganav knows, the thief knows, you're in the sukkah, or you're in the hut, or not. So now that we've seen the pshat in the Gemara, Let's try to understand what's this answer of Abaye, that the reason why you're not obligated to build the sukkah when you're a watchman is because of Teshvukein Tadoru. Like we saw in Tosas already, this concept of Teshvukein Tadoru is not up for dispute. So once that's true, how could this be presented as Abaye's stance when it's unilaterally, unilaterally accepted? So Rashi says here in Divra Maskel Kein Tadoru, Kederech Shuhudar Kol Hashana Bebeso. The same way he lives the whole year in his house, his kikoso Torah, the Torah obligated him, and he has to leave his house, and he has to live in his sukkah. Now, how does he have to live in his sukkah, though? With his beds, right? What he's usually used to, as he's accustomed to, and all of his vessels, and all of his linens, and this guy who's protecting the farmland isn't able to bring it all the way out there because it's too much, right? He has to pack up his whole house and move it out for one week. That's too much to ask of him. And therefore, since he can't have all of the normal contents of his house in his sukkah, he's actually exempt from sukkah. Now, it sounds like here, how did, what do we know Teshu Kein Tadoru meant before Abaye? Up until now, we saw Teshu Kain Tadoru meant that under certain circumstances, the Torah didn't obligate you to sit in a sukkah. For example, if it's raining, or the sukkah itself is bothering you, or the weather conditions bother you sitting in the sukkah, those circumstances, you're exempt from being in the sukkah. Or, if you're traveling and taking part in vital aspects of life, so the Torah didn't obligate you under those circumstances to go ahead and sit in the sukkah. Comes along a bayi and introduces a whole new concept. Not only does circumstance fit into the parameters of Teshu Kein Tadoru, but even 
the quality of life, the quality of living, also becomes one of the defining characteristics of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. And therefore, if the living quality isn't as good as what you're used to, comes along, comes along as a and says that also qualifies as an exemption of Teshvu Kein Tadoru to not obligate you in the mitzvah of Yeshiva Sukkah. That being said, it very well could be that Rava agrees with the concept of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. Yet, what does Rava think? Rava thinks that this new type of Teshvu Kein Tadoru, the qualitative Teshvu Kein Tadoru, that's not true. And inasmuch as that's not true, comes along Rava and says, so why are you, why are you actually exempt then, if you're guarding the farmland? The reason for your exemption is due to the fact that you're, it's going to deter and it's going to detract from your guarding, from your job. And therefore, since you have an exemption to do your job, you can't do something which is going to compromise the quality of your job. But because of Teshvu Kein Tadoru, this is not a circumstance that would exempt you normatively because when you're sleeping at night, you're not watching. Therefore, therefore, you would still be, that's a type of circumstance where you're supposed to be obligated. Qualitative? That's Abayi's Chiddush. So how we're saying now, the dispute between Abayi and Rava is whether or not there's this other concept within the exemption of Teshvu Kein Tadoru that besides circumstantial exemption, is there something called a quality of life exemption. Now, that would be my understanding of the Machlokas in the world of Rashi. Now that we saw Rashi, though, I want to go ahead and I want to analyze the stance of the Ran. The Ran is in the back of the Gemara on the pages of the Rif. It's Nafir Bezam and Aleph. When he comes in the Gemara, and the Ran comes and explains Abaye in the Gemara, he quotes Rashi verbatim, so we're not going to read through it. I'm interested in hearing what he says now in the opinion of Rava. Comes along the Ran and says as follows. You can't ex- go ahead and exempt this guard because of the reason of Teshvu Kein Tadoru, because it's Kein Tadoru. Right now, living in that hut is Kein Tadoru. Why? Since the whole year around, he's accustomed to living in that house for a week or two a month, right? And he uses those vessels, and therefore. That type of existence, that type of quality of life, is Kein Tadoru. So rather, why is he exempt? Really, it's because it detracts from his work. If he's going to send a sukkah, when the ganav sees him through the schach, he's going to steal the fruit. So according to the Ran, there's a whole new explanation. The explanation is that really, in all practicality, Rava agrees with Abaye. What does he agree with? He agrees with the fact that a part of the definition of Teshvu Kein Tadoru is also the quality of your lifestyle. It's not just limited to circumstance. Aye, so how come you don't have an exemption of Teshvu Kein Tadoru when it comes to Shomri Ganus for Pardesos? The answer is that inasmuch as he lives there for a week or two at a time, that's called his lifestyle. That's part of his lifestyle. And inasmuch as that's part of his lifestyle, a lesser quality of what he has in his home doesn't exempt him because he's used to it. According to Abaye, inasmuch as this was part of his work demands, so 
that doesn't define his normal living circumstances. When it comes to Silka, you have to be able to live under your normal living circumstances. So here, that it's a whole different dispute in the world of the Ran than what we suggested in Rashi. Now, maybe Rashi actually agrees with the Ran. How do we know that Rashi disagrees? Right? Rashi said anywhere that he doesn't hold to this concept of Teshu Kein Tadoru. So my assumption is that the Ran went out of his way to explain why Rava really thought that this concept was, yes, Kein Tadoru. Right? He spent a few lines on it. Now Rashi doesn't spend any time whatsoever explaining why this is considered Kein Tadoru. All Rashi does is he explains Abaye's stance, this novel idea within the parameters of Kein Tadoru, and then he right away skips to telling us what's Rava's explanation of the exemption. He doesn't explain to us why Rava doesn't agree with Abaye's stance. Inasmuch as that's true, that leads me to believe that he just disagrees totally with Abaye. It's not that he concedes to Abaye partially, or else Rashi would have to go out of his way to explain that the same way that the Ran did. The fact that Rashi omits that explanation lends me to believe that in the perspective of Rashi, he really thinks that Abaye and Rava have a fundamental dispute within the parameters of Teshu Kein Tadoru, and inasmuch as that's true, he comes up with a whole new concept. And that's why Rashi doesn't feel the need to explain why Rava disagrees with Abaye. It's very straightforward. Abaye is saying a mess of Chiddush, a whole new novel concept within the parameters of Teshu Kein Tadoru. And that's why Rashi didn't explain that dispute. So if that's true, there's two different ways to explain the Machlokas between Abai and Rava. According to Rashi, Abai introduces a new way, a new perspective of Teshu Kein Tadoru, that not only do you have to have the same circumstances and fitting circumstances to be in your sukkah, but you have to have a certain quality of life also, that your interior design has to be up to par with your normal living standards, and if not, you're exempt. Whereas according to Rava, he would disagree and say, even if you're not living up to your normal living standards, you're still obligated in sukkah. According to the Ran, that's not true. Everyone agrees that you need to have the same standard of living. Your interior design has to be comparable to that of your normal house. And just the dispute is, what considers normal living? Is my house the barometer of what's considered normal living? Or if there's circumstances which I put myself up to on a consistent basis, is that also considered Kein Tadoru? Is that also considered normal living circumstances that you're going to be obligated in? And that's going to be a dispute here between Rashi and the Ran. All right, at Sakharaba, we're going to continue on next week.